we've all grown up with this narrative of, you know, meet that perfect person, fall in love, spend the rest of your life together, live happily ever after, right? That's sort of like the default. And so a lot of us have actually, including myself, like never considered that there was another option out there. This is Frisky. North of 60. We bring you stories about love Love and and dating dating in the the North. I'm your host, Karen McCall, and I'm joined by co-host Jordan Patrick. We're recording in Whitehorse, Yukon, north of the 60th parallel. Where it's winter seven whole months of the year. And where it's a skill to learn to have sex in snowshoes. It sure is. In this episode, we are talking about polyamory. Jordan, in the next episode, is interviewing a man named Mike who shares his experience with polyamory and open relationships. So we just thought it was a good idea to sort of have this polyamory 101 episode to introduce people, maybe greenhorns, neophytes like ourselves to polyamory, because uh, it's something that I know very little about. So I've just been learning. And I don't know about you, Jordan, what your experience is like. Always a learner. So polyamory is something that I think there's a lot of curiosity around, but also some stigma. And so I think... I would also add fear into that mix yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of fear, right? Jealousy, um, you know, insecurity. So yeah, I'm really stoked to dive into this today. The importance of this episode is to come at it from a very open-minded perspective and just kind of talk about what it is and what we've learned about it. Uh, So first of all, I guess there's a lot of language around polyamory. So we'll just sort of get into some of that. So polyamory, I think the definition is many loves. So polyamory means having more than one intimate relationship or having intimate relationships with more than one partner. You might also hear like talking about swinging. And um, again, I'm not expert, but swinging, I think, is more sort of sexual versus sort of the, the relationship part. Same with open relationship that might refer to more um, sort of a sexual relationship. Um, And then I guess these all fall under the category or sort of umbrella of ethical Mm non-monogamy. And and by ethical, meaning like there's mutual consent, there's like a conversation, there's an understanding and... You know, as we'll we'll probably discuss, like communication being key and that trust and all that. So exactly. And as I said at the beginning, like this is new to me. And so what I did is I have a couple of friends who are polyamorous and they actually suggested that we do this polyamory 101 episode to kind of just kind of just introduce it. Um, So everything, a lot of what I'm sharing today is what I've learned from them and from some online researching, like literally Googling some of these definitions. And so obviously they're not experts. They are just, um, they were just willing to share with me, which is really nice. And they're also just one example of how their relationship works. So I'm going to call my friends Jack and Jill. They, they live in the Yukon, but they're not I guess they're not openly non-monogamous because of like we talked about some of the stigma. It's a small community and they've previously only had monogamous relationships with their partners. So for them, they, they come at polyamory from a very researched, uh, intentional perspective. They kind of looked at their relationship and they're like, what do we want out of our relationship and how can we make it work? And for them, they came to polyamory because they decided that they wanted to be life partners with each other, but they kind of realized that for them, monogamy had an expiry date to it. So they thought it, 
if we want to be together forever, we need to do something other than monogamy. What do you mean by expiry date? Did they share that at all? Well, just that like it wouldn't last forever. Like the honeymoon phase, you know, once that's gone or. I mean, they even said like, do we want each other to be the last people we ever sleep with again or the last Mm. people we have intimate relationships Mm -hmm. with? Right. And so I guess one thing that they're also very kind of clear about is that they're, they're not advocates for polyamory. They are advocates for whatever your relationship that you decide to have with someone that it's intentional. So maybe if you choose monogamy that you're choosing that because it's intentional and not because we've all grown up with this narrative of, you know, meet that perfect person, fall in love, spend the rest of your life together, live happily ever after. Right. That's sort of like the default. And so a lot of us have actually, including myself, like never considered that there was another option out there. Hmm. And so like intention, meaning like talking about your needs or your wants, um, you know, which may change and being in tune with that as mm-hmm. you go along through a relationship because people, surprise, surprise, people change, relationships change mm-hmm. and you come into it with this romantic idea and then all of a sudden you're faced with, oh, I am really attracted to other people still. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too is like, I think for some of us in monogamy, it kind of ignores this idea that like, it's like we're pretending that we're never going to be attracted to anyone else outside of our partner ever again. Mm. And those conversations can be really hard to have in a monogamous relationship to tell your partner you're attracted to someone else is a, you know, it's a kind of a faux pas slash could be the end of a relationship. Whereas in more open or polyamorous relationships, like that's part of the ongoing conversation. How would you react if, if like said partner is like, Karen, like, man, there was this smoking woman who I I met the other night and I felt like a really strong attraction. And I don't know, I just really wanted to share that with you because I'm holding on to a feelings of guilt around having that. What if we talk to our partners before those feelings arise, right? Because those feelings will likely arise at some point in a relationship. Be like, hey, at some point, we're going to be attracted to other people. How do we, what does that mean for our relationship? To be completely honest, I have started dating someone before who I really liked, but then also had this sort of like thought like, oh my God, is this going to be the last person I ever date? And actually that has kind of brought up something in me, like this sort of like fear of locking myself into something forever. So Um, I guess that's part of the journey of deciding the intentional part of like, what does work for me? I don't know if you want to share a little bit about like, what's your experience in considering a relationship that's maybe not purely monogamous? Like I've, um, I haven't been in any open or, um, polyamorous relationship before, but, um, my own experience um, of long-term committed relationships, there there tends to be a point for me where um, once the initial like fire and need to be with that person has kind of like passed a bit and where, where I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, like I really want to read this book I'm into rather than make plans with my partner. Um, bad example, but whatever, first thing comes to mind. Um, and then when I get to that point and then I meet somebody who I have a great connection with, who I'm attracted to physically, um, that there's like, uh, there's that question that comes up. Like, um, 
what are my boundaries right now because of the committed relationship I'm in? Then then it brings out the question, like, am I fully satisfied in my relationship? Um, Is this the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life? And I think in the past, before ever coming across these ideas of polyamory, um, it was like a do or die situation. Like it was like either I stay in this relationship and deal with these feelings and either repress them or just like um, or 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 give into temptation, which I, I, you know, which I haven't done, but I've certainly entertained the idea. I'll be the first to admit it. I wouldn't. No, I'm definitely not yeah, the first. You're human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and it's like, and then there, yeah, because I haven't had the skills to talk about these feelings. I never. I feel like talking about attraction when I'm in a relation, a committed relationship, is almost been a taboo. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I never went there. Mm-hmm. And that's where. Okay, so Jack and Jill. So when they were looking at how they wanted their relationship to go. Um, there was a couple of books that they kind of started with. I mean, actually, they've gone through, they've read a lot of books on this topic, but there was two in particular that they um, liked, which I'll mention again at the end of the podcast. But one of the books that they mentioned is called Designer Relationships by Mark A. Michaels and Patricia Johnson. So to be clear, I have not read this book, um, but this is one of the books they read. And in this book, it basically gives an example of various relationships, um, such as couples who choose monogamy, um, single people who have occasional lovers, but like maybe multiple lovers, polyfidelity. So that's like, say, three or four people who decide they're all going to be intimate with each other, but with nobody else else outside of that group. And then any number of multiple partner configurations. So polyamory, from what I've heard, it's, it's as varied as the people involved. There can be so many different combinations of it. But um but the point was that Jack and Jill looked at this book and they're it's sort of like a starting point for what they thought they might want to take their direction of their relationship. So their relationship structure is hierarchical, which means that Jack and Jill are each other's primary partners, um, but they date other people as what they call secondary partners, but people who don't have as much I guess, priority in the relationship. But they still have rights and they're still part of the discussion. Yeah, I could see this resource giving different examples of different kinds of relationship formats be kind of like a good, um, I don't know, like a good reference for couples to like be like, oh, this might be something for me. Um, and you know, yeah, to be able to, to share that with a, a partner. Yeah. It's kind huge. of just like opening the mind to like, this is the narrative that you've been raised with your whole life of what our relationship in quotation marks looks like. Mm. Here's all these other examples, like choose what works for you and your partner slash partner. Um, so I guess I'll talk a little bit about Jack and Jill, how they kind of manage that in a second. But I think we, we kind of already touched on like, there's so many different versions of relationships, but there's like a few things that are have to be in place. Uh, I mean, for any relationship to work, I guess, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous, that's trust, consent, respect, um, and communication. And communication is uh, huge in any relationship, but also, especially in a polyamorous relationship, you're bringing like multiple people into the equation. And, and that's something that has kind of come up when I've just sort of been like loosely talking about that with friends is 
you know, it's, it's a lot of work sometimes to maintain one relationship, let alone like adding more people. Like it's, it actually does take more time. Um, you can't like, you can't just like have one discussion with your partner and be like, do you want to have an open relationship? Yeah, cool. We're good. And yeah, we're good. Yeah. Like that's going to blow up. I mean, I'm not an expert, (laughs) but I know that that's going to blow up. So Jill, she's got a lot of really like cute ways of sort of like describing polyamory, but she calls it a really time consuming hobby. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing she calls it is the extreme sports of dating. Oh, oh, she's like, why would she call that? Well, she's like, you know, if you've got the training, if you've got the expertise and skills, it's like, it's a great thrill. It can be really fun. But if you don't, you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt others. Yeah. Like speed skiing, you know, jumping off a cliff with a parachute. And so actually that's something that I guess comes up a lot in the polyamory community community according to jack and jill is this idea of is it worth it because there's this effort that goes into maintaining these relationships versus monogamy so another thing she said to me once is like if you can be happy in a monogamous relationship do that because you know if that's a relationship you choose great because it's a lot easier um well what are the barriers did they talk about barriers yeah. for them? What are sort of the constraints? Like, I mean, you already mentioned stigma. Like, that's mm-hmm. something I really like to get into mm-hmm. today. It's like, what are what are some of the stigmas around being in an open relationship? Well, okay, so stigma, I guess that's sort of like, that's like involving other people not in the relationship, which is important to touch on. Um, but maybe just before that, like, I guess the stigma first of like, or like the challenges within the relationship is like, jealousy right like that's huge um fear of replacement fear of abandonment um and just like being in an uncomfortable situation so there's a lot of self-work that goes into polyamorous relationships and one thing that jack said to me because they they sort of know a community of polyamorous people and um that like some people who have been poly for a while actually won't date people who are new to poly because Ooh, interesting yeah because that makes sense. because it takes they said it takes like a year or two to like sort yourself out like they said it's actually not unusual for it to derail your life for a year or two because you're going through all this self-work to get to a place where you can be happy having your partner being with other people for example um and then that's where like the whole like so so kind of keeps coming back to that like well why are you doing it then and they still think for them that polyamory it's it's still worth it over monogamy for them um in terms of the stigma that you mentioned um i don't know i think it's one of those things that i think once it become once we he- hear more about it it'll just become normalized um during covid there was an article on the cbc about like how polyamorous couples are dealing with covid in terms of like the bubble and you know, because it just opens up a greater web of connections, but they're still legitimate relationships. So how do you kind of find that balance? So to see that article on the CBC, like a mainstream news source, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, what about the workplace? Like, you know, if people are in an open relationship, that is something they don't share at work. But that, then no. again, everybody's like, yeah, I'm going this weekend with my kids and my wife and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, or you're not gonna be like, Oh, but I'm also, you know, and then on Sunday, I'm going to see my, my other partner and we're going to do this. It's like, why aren't we there yet at the workplace? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's time and it's, it's having conversations like this that will help 
normalize it, I guess. And, and that's why I guess maybe I didn't say earlier in the interview, but, um, the reason why Jack and Jill aren't here talking to us right now is because yeah, they don't want their workplaces to know because they are afraid of judgment. And one thing, um, you know, it kind of comes up with that is like this whole idea of like women aren't supposed to be sexual or like, or like because Jack and Jill are in a relationship, people might think like Jack is like forcing Jill into this relationship because he wants to have like multiple partners. And you know, there's all sorts of things that can come out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I should mention also that Jack and Jill, they don't date in territory. So they don't, and they've said that we don't want our friends to like get weirded out and think we're hitting on them. Or we don't want like the messiness. Like that's for them, how they've chose to work their relationship. And it's also, this is something I found interesting because it's not like tit for tat. Like it's not necessarily 50-50 how their relationship works. So Jack, he tends to have long-term relationships with other people whereas jill is more excited by the sort of like flings or like meeting new people what's called new relationship energy so she doesn't necessarily um have a whole bunch of long-term relationships she's maintaining on the side or like i shouldn't say a whole bunch like you know she she's more she just likes the idea of the freedom she can have when she leaves the territory of not having the restrictions of of not being able to meet someone or be intimate with someone or have that connection with another person. Um, and I told you that they, they Jack and Jill came at this very intentionally. So they have what's called, um, it's, I can't remember actually what it's called. It's an agreement, basically. It's a written document that outlines red light, yellow light, green light in terms of, so like red lights are things that like are just off the table that they've agreed upon. Clear boundary. Clear boundary. Uh, green lights are like, this is okay. Anytime, you know, you, you don't have to ask permission beforehand kind of thing. And then yellow lights are like, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not. Um, but let's it's talk discussion. about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also they talked about the difference between like the, the don't ask, don't tell. And then like the fire hose. So like, are you telling your partner every single detail? Are you not telling them <laughs> anything? The exactly. fire hose. I like that. And like, I got some friends who are firemen, so they'd be totally like, oh yeah. yeah just like the mouth. TMI. Opens. Right. <laughs> TMI. And so, you know, and that's why we talked about like the time consuming aspect of this is because all of these things that come up, it's like, how much do I want to know about what you're doing? Like, do I know, I want to know before you go on a date? Do I want to know after? Do I want to, like, how many details do I want to know about your relationship? And then, Mm. you know, we've talked in the poly community, they use the word compersion, right? So, and that's the idea of getting joy from your partner's um, activities. So moving past jealousy to like, hey, I'm happy that you've hooked up with someone else. Like, like, that's great. And, and also kind of comes back to this idea, which is when, when we meet like a partner, it's sort of like this idea is drilled into us that that person should be our everything, right? And that was something that Jill brought up is when Jack started connecting with a woman who has a PhD in his field of study, she felt um, inadequate. She's like, oh my gosh, these people, this woman has so much in common with my partner. You know, yeah, she just felt that made her feel a bit insecure. But then she came around and she's like, how great is it that he has someone to talk to, to connect with about his work in a way that I can't. And she's like, and I don't want to like his work is, I mean, it's great, but it's not that interesting to her in that way. Mm. So it's sort of like 
they're finding partners that aren't replacing each other, but they're actually like complimenting, complimenting. Yeah. So it's exactly this idea of like complimentary rather than in conflict or like in opposition. The expectation that your you you say you choose a life mate, let's you get married, will be your everything. Your your lover, your best friend, your mm-hmm. uh, business partner, and that the expectation that that sets on a relationship is huge. Mm-hmm. And so, surprise, surprise, when the fire is gone and you suddenly feel like you're living with a sibling, mm-hmm. you know, it just that's removed from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody is doomed to this, from what I understand, but. Um, if you come into it with intention and you realize arising within you, it's this desire to have like a very intellectual connection with someone that maybe you're not feeling necessarily with your partner. Like that's huge that Jill was able to like, you know, face that insecurity in herself Mm -hmm. and experience joy, excitement for a partner to have that part of his life, um, you know, fulfilled in a way, you know, um, and I imagine the energy that they bring back into their relationship, you know, like, um, yeah, just really beautiful. And what you were talking about too, is, um, in terms of fulfilling different needs, if you're say bisexual and you're in a heterosexual relationship, then you're never going to be able to fulfill that other desire. Right. So that's part of yourself in that way as a whole being. Exactly. Um, another thing that, was brought up as an example is like, say you have this like kink, like you are really into foot fetishes and your partner. Don't touch my feet. Yeah, you exactly. Ah. So then maybe you have another partner who is really into the foot fetish thing too. So it's, it's just a way of fulfilling different desires, needs, intellectual, physical, sexual, whatever. Good yeah. Example. Yeah. I mean, all these things um, just really kind of, I don't know. They're, they're mind opening. And like, literally I have never considered polyamory before, but beyond like two weeks ago. And now I'm like, huh, wow, this is really interesting. Yeah. At the very least it's inquiry for our own personal growth. I mean, you don't have to be on board just cause you're exploring these ideas. You're mm-hmm. just, you're just inquiring. For those who choose to go down this path, there's probably some work ahead, but, um, as with many things in life, you know, you got to put some work in in order to reap the rewards. I guess just I for people who want to know more about polyamory, um, I guess I would point you to the books that my friends um, recommended. I mean, like I said, they have a whole pile of books, but the two that they were particularly found helpful were Designer Relationships by Mark A. Michaels and Patricia Johnson, and actually the Jealousy Workbook, which is a book that you work through um, called, by Kathy Labriola. Um, and that one's techniques and exercises to help people manage jealousy. And I have actually ordered that book because jealousy is something that I kind of struggle with, like outside of relationships, just in life. So I was like, heck, it probably can't hurt for me to go through this book and kind of just do some self-work, like regardless of what kind of relationship I'm in. So although I think the book, I think like the subtitle does say like, something about polyamorous relationships. So I'm going to go pick that up at Max Fireweed Books and I'll see if like the cashier gives me, gives see if there's any judgment when I go pick it up, right? Or like, who knows? Or like maybe there's a phone number inside the bag. <laughs> who knows? Oh yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention that Jack and Jill suggested too is, um, and I think this is true in monogamy too. Like 
a lot of people see counselors, right, for their relationships. And sometimes you wait too long, like you wait until there's a problem. And then sometimes it's too late to heal that relationship. And they were saying for polyamory, so they they see a counselor, I think remotely, who specializes in polyamorous relationships. It's, yeah, for them, that kind of had to be in place in order just to help them navigate this. Absolutely. Everybody needs to look into their mental health, whatever relationship you're in. So if you don't already have someone you could talk to who's kind of like a life coach, like find one, people. You yeah. know, like you there are some free resources too. Get a different perspective, you know, other than your own and the story mm-hmm. you're telling yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it is good to have your own counselor and a partner counselor, right? Yeah. Because there's just different things that kind of come up. I like workbooks too. Yeah, totally. I'd also invite our listeners, if you have a book or a podcast or a website or something that you have found useful in your journey towards um an intentional relationship, whatever kind of relationship, that would be great to share it with us and we'll share it on our Facebook page. Um, um, Go ahead. Uh, ahead, Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Um, Yeah. Uh, Love Drive. Um, Really enjoy the talks about relationships in that one. I think it's a guy who's based out of Montreal. And then, of course, there's... Sorry, Love Drive. Um, That's a podcast. Oh, it's a podcast. Okay. And what's what's it about? Um, So... I haven't listened to it a ton, but the guy is, um, he dives into the topics of polyamory and I do believe he, um, interviews, uh, someone who talks about compersion specifically. Mm -hmm. So we talked about that today and goes in a bit deeper. Um, really enjoyed that recording. I could find it. Um, another great one is called turn me on, which is a couple from out East who are in an open, uh, uh, relationship marriage. And they have like some of the coolest conversations, interviews with like different, uh, people, sexologists, et cetera, mm. on, on sexuality. It's always kind of linked into that. Mm-hmm. Love to plug them. And as far as books go, my only introduction into it, um, and just stumbled upon it, it was actually my sister who was like, you know, hey, I heard this book's really interesting. And I picked it up when I was in Victoria. It's uh, Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan. Um, It kind of gives a historical, um, like an evolution of monogamy and also looks at like scientific and um, anthropological perspectives on sexuality and um very interesting book Mm. it really opened up my mind because it felt like it was uh it was a more scientific approach to um looking at why humans experience jealousy why we experience Mm. attraction why monogamy isn't working for a lot of people and uh and how monogamy like came about as such a powerful force of uh of guiding social behavior Mm. so very cool Great. Well, that's a lot. So yeah, I guess thanks for everybody for um, listening to our podcast. And yeah, chime in. Please contact us frisky north of 60 at gmail.com. Give us your anonymous stories too. If you want to share like Jack and Jill did and just put your voice out there and uh, share your experiences. If you agree, disagree, we're open to it. We're non or non anonymous. You're not anonymous. Non-anonymous, yeah. Let us non-anonymy. interview you. We don't, I don't want to do the voice filters. No. Like, all right, Mr. X. All right. Yeah. I'll tell you about my life. Yeah. That would be weird for a 30 minute podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be listening to what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. 
Thanks, and uh, stay frisky, everyone. Stay frisky. One last thing. Don't forget to listen to our next episode, which is the interview that Jordan does with his friend Mike, who is in an open relationship. This episode was recorded in Whitehorse, Yukon. Music by Jordan Patrick. I did the producing and editing. Do you want to sponsor us so we can hire a real producer? Or maybe you have feedback or want to be interviewed on this show. Email us frisky north of 60 at gmail.com that's frisky north of 60 at gmail.com or you can find us on social media